Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I am joined by the cicadas and my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. Yeah, so the guests for probably the next couple weeks are going to be the cicadas. They're going to contribute a lot to our conversations. Um, They have some really hot takes on Elden Ring. (laughs) But yeah, I uh, I had a good week this week. I bet you did. It was busy, and then towards the end of the week, I was like... I, I mean, Thursday we had... I can start from the beginning, which is a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so mo- Monday, Tuesday, I was playing some games, but um, I quickly, like my week picked up around Wednesday. So I had some early calls with China on Wednesday, and then I was on the Turk Run podcast. Turk Run show. They've corrected me many times. Yeah. Well, tar- the Turk Run show. <laughs> yes. We said it correctly. We'll just edit that out later. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that was a ton of fun. Um, that'll come out eventually on their channel. Um, we were talking about um, the games that we were playing for the Gentleman's Challenge. Mm, what is the Gentleman's Challenge? Um, so this is, I think it's the pure version of the Gentleman's Challenge, but you're basically paired up with someone randomly in the Discord. And um, Alec and uh, they or. Dude, I cannot think of names. Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I'm like over. So I've been up since six o'clock preparing for Elden Ring news. I've had two cups of coffee and pre-workout. So like I'm all over the place. It's also like 140 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like melting. Plus I did stairs. So like I'm, I've sweat through this thing twice already. So yeah, Zach and Alec, um, they got paired up in a shady um, pairing. Did you ask them anything about that? I did. I called them out on their show. I was like. It seems a little suspect, and they, it's apparently random. I don't believe it. But yeah, okay. it's getting past the point of, like, yeah, probability. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so that was a ton of fun. Um, so I made some headway in Persona, um, which is my first big mountain of a game. And then Thursday night, or Wednesday night, then Thursday morning, I had an early call with Japan at 6 a.m., so I was worked, got off work early because I started at five so I could get off at like one thirty, and it felt like a weekend. Mm. Like you leave work at two, which is really nice. And it gave me time to prepare for E3. Nice. Which was later that evening. I was actually late to the party. Um, I think it's, was it two o'clock that it started or one o'clock? It was, I it, think was it was two because I was still at work actually and I had a couple <laughs> meetings. So. I was able to catch the the first 30 minutes, and then I had meetings from 2.30 to 3.30, and I caught what was most important, which was the tail end. Yeah, so I I, I got in there late, and because I was seeing some of the conversations on Discord, and I was like, oh, shit, like something's going on. And like I started late, maybe like a half an hour to an hour delay, and I saw the Ryan Reynolds thing. He was like, hey, I'm not the main character in Elden Ring. And then people in the Discord were like, FromSoft updated their things. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, am I like missing? Am I in the wrong like conference? And then I realized I was so far behind. And then you messaged basically like, it's happening or like it's the last thing. And I was like, 
fuck, I'm way behind. So, like, I was watching Yang Ye sped up to the very end, and then I got to experience it with everyone in the Discord. Nice. um, So, basically, after Thursday, nothing else mattered in my life except for Elden Ring. So, at this point, I've watched the trailer 20-plus times, and I've put, like, six to eight hours into my notes. Wow. Um, So, I'm hyped. Did you ever put that much effort into school as a kid? That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. If my parents aren't listening, then no. (laughs) If they are, dude, every class, just every night, eight hours. (laughs) I bet. I bet. Yeah. I'm really, I mean, after two years of just dryness, I was, dude, there's so much. And then like, so I, I really like going back and watching some of the E3 pr- like uh, reactions mm. to like Sekiro and Dark Souls by the main, there's like a main five or six people in the community uh, with the biggest channels. So I went back and watched that and it's really cool to see the reactions. Nice. Um, we'll get into all of it today. Yes, because it, this... it, was, it was just a good week. I'm glad so. to hear that, dude. Yeah. How about you? Oh, yeah. And then I'm continuing to lift because um, we're going to, I mean, we still have to plan it which we'll do today or tomorrow, um, Colorado in August. So I'm continuing to lift and cutting um, with food, not with knives. And um, I like went past one of the harder milestones, which I've been trying to get down weight-wise, which is good this week. Um, so yeah, and then I, uh, I, I'm deciding, because I was talking to Rick last night, and I don't want to injure myself going super crazy, like early 20s with like heavy weights. Um, so I'm probably going to go with like the bench press of like NFL players where they stop at 225 and just do that for more reps. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. L- a lot of good Getting stuff going on in Ryan's week. But for those that are unfamiliar with this podcast, this is Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty. That's Ryan over there. We both rant about all kinds of crazy stuff. We try to talk about video games on this podcast. Sometimes we dovetail into other things, as we've just done. But yes, we do have a packed agenda today. We've got to talk about E3, Summer Game Fest, really kick things off with a bang. There was some fluff in the middle, but I think it started strong and certainly ended wonderfully. So Ryan has a lot of things to say about that Elden Ring trailer. You probably could have guessed that coming into this episode, But we have a hot new release on the PlayStation 5. Ratchet & Clank, A Rift Apart, came out this week. I put about four hours in last night, so I have a lot of impressions to talk through. I've also been playing a little game that Ryan loves called Octopath Traveler on the Switch. I beat my first Sonic game and so much more. I think this will probably be a shorter episode than last week because if you missed last week's episode, I do want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. Ryan and I put a ton of time For that episode, we gave our boldest, most fun, and stupid E3 predictions, some of which have already not come true for me because I said we wouldn't see Elden Ring. We already have. We also started a new segment called Destiny Island Challenge, where we select a console of our choosing, and we then kind of research it, give the backstory, how well it performed, a whole bunch of trivia Ryan and I went into. It was super fun. We played 90s commercials uh, related to this console, being the Sega Genesis, because Ryan and I never grew up with the console, so it was a ton of fun to just research the heck out of it. We researched the library because the whole pool of the segment is 
we select five games that we would spend the rest of our lives playing on a deserted island. So we researched the library of the Sega Genesis. We picked five games. We talked about them. We laughed about them. We boiled in this room because where we record the podcast, which is my game room, it is hot as Hades in here. Uh, but we had a hell of a lot, a hell of a fun time talking through everything. So please, that's a little promo, a little plug for the last episode. We put a lot of effort into it, and I think it came out pretty nicely. Even if you heard those little bugs, those little cicadas in the background, I tried to, I tried my best to edit it out in post, but you can only do so much when the cicadas really want to have their voices heard. Yeah, really. I mean, how it was how we should play it off is they were serenading the glory that is this podcast with their chirps. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So we'll get into the Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart stuff. We'll get into the Summer Game Fest stuff pretty soon here. But yes, how was my week? It went pretty well. This is my first week back to the office, which I enjoyed. Uh, Just the commute in was really nice to just listen to some tunes, um, have a chance to kind of prep myself mentally for the office life. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of... um, Kind of a barren wasteland. There was not a lot of people in the office this week, yeah. but it was still nice to kind of get dressed up, look professional. Uh, I think that does it does a lot to kind of get you motivated to push through your work and just get stuff done. So um, that was nice. I went in Monday and I went in Thursday and Friday. But again, hardly I was literally the only person in the office on Friday and we have about 70, 72 people typically on our floor. Wow. So had the whole floor to myself. I was running, doing jumping jacks, just whatever the heck I wanted to because no one was there to see me. Uh, so that was kind of nice. But outside of that, you kind of hinted at it and I was going to get into it too. So um, two and a half, three years ago, when I was really at my wits end with the job that I found myself in, um, Laura and I were recently married, which is really the only positive thing that was really going on in my life at the time because I was just going nuts. Yeah. But that summer, we went to Colorado And at this point, I was ready to quit my job and just quit everything and just, I was going nuts. And we went to Colorado, we went hiking, we went to all kinds of bars, drank a bunch of beer, just had a really good time. And Colorado is a great place because there's just, the people there are just so friendly, so welcoming, a lot of just free spirits, kind of just that up and left wherever they were to move out there to kind of do whatever the heck they wanted to. And we met a lot of cool people out there. So I thought, what better way than for you, not that we need to get into your job situation, but it'd be a unique opportunity to go out there, you know, get you in some unfamiliar territory, socializing with some good people, drinking some beer, having fun, go around to a couple of different cities in Colorado. I think it should just be a fun bro trip between the two of us. Yes. It'll be a ton of fun. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. We'll probably fly out in about a month or two and we'll rent a car. We'll maybe drive out to um, Avon. It's a great city. We'll probably stay in Denver for a couple of nights, but uh, it'll be nice to kind of get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. I'm excited. Yeah, dude. I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be fun. But uh, but that's all I got. I want to get into the games that we've been playing. I want to get into the E3 Elden Ring goodness. But before I start talking about Ratchet and Clank nonsensically, Ryan, what have you been up to this week game-wise? Not too much. Um, Like I said previously, I had only played games probably Monday, Tuesday. Um, I wanted to get more first impressions for the Tarkaron podcast. Um, So I have about six hours total into Persona right now. I think I'm about to go into the next kind of 
segment or change in pace for the game. Um, I just got my fourth party member, and I think what's going to happen next is it's going to open up where it's more time management, and I can kind of, I guess, build bonds with people more freely. Um, the first six hours was very linear, um, and what Alec was saying, like six to ten hours is where you kind of figure out whether you like the game. Okay. Um, so he increased it from the four hours previously. It's now like six to ten. So what's going to happen if you get to the ten hour mark and you're kind of just mm, indifferent to the game? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll have a better answer when I get there. I uh, I think I committed to being a gentleman, and I have to go back to their show in a couple months mm. to either like tail between the legs, I'm a failure, or I succeeded and I'm a gentleman. So don't want to let the team down and i'm one for one hundred percent a gentleman as of I, I was part of one previous challenge where i beat sekiro oh that's right so, yeah beating secure for a challenge is a hell of a, a milestone so persona which is it's a little different but not as hard i think i can do it it's just time consuming but goal is to beat it right now um, I'll probably, so like three o'clock we're Eastern time. We have, uh, blinks live stream later today. And then we have the Ubisoft stuff, but I'll probably just runescape during those two. And then I want to persona basically the rest of the weekend. Nice. That'd be good stuff. Yeah. And then besides that, um, when I was preparing my notes for all the Elden Ring stuff, I was just in the background, AFKing some runescape. So I am now, uh, the closest to another cape is 97 out of 99 for crafting. Oh, have you ever so, gotten the crafting cape before? Yes, I did on my uh, RuneScape 3 character. Mm. Uh, so that I have that one, and then I'm 90 out of 99 fletching, but I have 96 paid for right now. Okay. So I'm making my way slowly through that. Uh, crafting and fletching I've both gotten before, but this is just for this new character. And it, it's funny to watch Ben... Because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just crafting and fletching. And like after I'd gotten prayer, he shortly after got prayer. And now he's working on fletching and crafting, too. Nice. Um, so, yeah, just collecting the capes. Good stuff. Um, besides that, haven't played really anything else. Lots of listening to Octopath Traveler after you oh. showed me you were playing it. Yes. It, it's such an amazing soundtrack. Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah. What have you been playing? Yeah, so kind of similar to you, at least earlier in the week when I was getting used to kind of commuting to work and waking up at like six o'clock in the morning, because uh, obviously I haven't been doing that for like a year and a half. I've just been rolling out of bed at like 730 or eight and walking over to my computer and signing on and, and working, proceeding to work for eight to 10 hours. That that changed this week. So that definitely took a little toll on me uh, just in terms of coming home and being tired yeah. and not really in the mood to come upstairs in the game room and play games, but also knowing that it was it, it the circulation in our house as it relates to our air conditioning. We do not get a lot in here for some reason. Yeah, I haven't really researched to figure out what's causing that. Um, but like even when Lauren and I have the AC on full blast, we're just not getting a lot in here yeah. uh, or really in the upstairs in general. So we need to figure that out. But because of that, I was like, eh, I don't really want to uh, come up here and play more Shenmue. So I kind of stayed downstairs and, Lauren and I were just uh, meal prepping this week, just doing some fun stuff. And then <clears throat> I think it was Monday night where I was just like really tired. I went to bed at like 730 
and put on some old family guy, was looking at the Switch games, and I thought, man, I really want a good RPG to kind of just play for an hour or two before I go to bed every night. And I was looking at Dragon Quest XI, and I'm like, that's just uh, too daunting. Plus, we've got Dragon Quest Three HD 2D remake type of deal coming out, I assume, in the next year or so. So I don't, I don't really want to play a Dragon Quest game right now. And then I saw Octopath Traveler. Yes. And I thought, dude, what the heck? Let's just do this. So I put that in. Just even the the startup music at the menu screen is just freaking terrific. It's it is. so beautiful. And it's music that I've heard before just because I listen to so many music compilations, playlists on YouTube, you know, when I'm working and stuff like that. Uh, but it's nice to be able to kind of tie that to the experience itself yeah. when I boot up the game. And so... It should be no surprise, you know, when you play Octopath, if you're not familiar with the game, you get to select one of many heroes that you kind of start your journey with. And as I do in most RPGs, more so Western RPGs, when you get to select some kind of medieval character, I selected the warrior. I think his name is Ulrich. Yep. And I only played about an hour and a half, two hours. But dude, there is just an unexplainable beauty with turn-based RPGs. Right. Oh my god. Especially gosh. that 16-bit art style. Yeah. Um, I think Ulbrick is a good one. Uh, the two main like melee combat guys are Ulbrick, and then there's the girl who's able to summon creatures. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I forget her name. But very, yeah, good starting character. Um, I, yeah, it's it's amazing. Oh, it's so good. You know, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of complaints about the graphics just because it looks a little muddy little dark color palette type of mm-hmm. thing that doesn't really bother me at all even having seen the more vibrant colorful graphics of the the dragon quest remake remake the voice acting is fun i was kind of surprised that you know there's actually fully voiced characters mm-hmm. a lot of them have english accents and stuff it just makes for uh it just kind of enhances that experience quite a bit but i mean as you've been getting at the music is literally perfect in that game it is yeah i i I think I mentioned that the soundtrack was like an hour and a half. It's actually like three or three and a half hours. Um, it's I. I mean, when I listen to songs, I like I was listening to one song this week, and it had like Christmas bells and songs. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the main theme of like the the like sorceress character who's in like a snowy wonderland. And sure enough, it was like you can very much recall where you heard some of these songs because yeah. like, I mean the, the flu, like I wasn't aware. I didn't really remember the flutiness in the main theme. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned it, I went back and listened to it. I'm like, Oh, there really is. It's a really like, most of them are very uplifting. I can't think of maybe some battle music, anything that's super harsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the, the biggest things in an RPG, especially something that's going to take you 20 plus hours to beat is the battle music, you know, because you're going to be hearing that for the next 20 to 80, 100 hours if you're playing yeah. something like Persona 5. And uh, yeah, I love the battle music. Um, the overworld music is just so comforting and and just perfect. I, I'm really enjoying my time. Again, I'm only two hours because later in the week, uh, I just didn't really have a, a desire to play video games. And when I came home I, or finished work, I was just ready to go to bed without playing any games. But that's definitely something I'm going to continue chugging along playing throughout the rest of the summer. Certainly, if you and I do go to Colorado, not if, when we go to Colorado, yeah, I'll certainly be bringing my Switch because, you know, when we drive out to Avon, uh, I'm sure you and I will kind of swap driving or who's driving, but I will definitely be in the passenger seat playing some uh, 
some Octopath. Yeah, the problem is, like, when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm playing Octopath, and I really want to now play Octopath, like, alongside you. Um, I am at Ulbricht's final boss, actually. Oh. Um, he's the one I chose in my playthrough. Um, but now I want to start over and kind of just re-experience it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing about Octopath is, I mean, as the title would explain, there's eight characters, eight eight paths, um, and you can see them around your map. So you can go pick, I mean, a four-person party, but you can pick whoever you want or all of them, and you can just switch them out at like a tavern. But tons of different uh, possibilities for your team's makeup, like a normal RPG you have, or even your you liked Final Fantasy Thirteen. the different, like how you want to structure the characters. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of depth, so I'm, I'm curious who your team is, and then they each get a job. So, like, you have your sword class for Ulbrick, and then he's able, if you want him to make potions or heal other people, there's a specific secondary class you can put on him. So, it's really cool. And it changes their outfits, which is adorable. Yeah. And it's one of those things, too. I know we have a number of listeners to the show that aren't really well-versed in RPGs, don't have a lot of experience playing them. I feel like this is one that, I don't want to say it's elementary by any means, but I think the learning curve isn't too steep that most people... If you haven't played RPGs before and are just looking to kind of get your feet wet, I think Octopath Traveler is a great one to, 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 you know, jump in on. Yeah, most definitely. Um, It's if you want to do surface level, it's very I mean, it's a turn based RPG with all of the kind of new age or not like 10 year old kind of style. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of um, quality of life updates to Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But you still have that old school kind of Final Fantasy look to it. Yeah. Um, And then if you want to go in depth with it, you can. There's plenty of late game stuff that you can increase with your strategies, the complexity of it. So, yeah, it'll grow with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more. And I know I don't think we've seen more of it to this point. We might during Nintendo's Nintendo Direct's Treehouse E3 event, whatever the heck that stupid trailer thing is. Um, you know, maybe we'll see more of the Project Triangle strategy, which yeah. I think is the more tactics-based Octopath game, because I don't have a ton of experience playing um, tactics-based RPGs. I have Final Fantasy Tactics, the original PS1 game, downloaded on my Vita. I actually have a box copy of Final Fan- Fantasy Tactics Advance on the Game Boy Advance. But outside of that, you know, I've played Pokemon Conquest, which was that uh, Nubungo's Ambition crossover with Pokemon. I know I butchered that name. Um, but that tactics-based Pokemon game, which was fun. I've played Lord of the Rings Tactics. Advance Wars. On uh, PSP, Advance Wars. Uh, I guess Fire Emblem, stuff like that too. But I guess Final Fantasy Tactics is the biggest, I guess, omission from my uh, tactics-based RPG playing uh, experience. But yeah, I don't know. I think that game should be really interesting because once I get familiar with the characters and the style and the music of Octopath, it'll be fun to see that translated over to like a tactics-based RPG game. So hopefully we'll see more of that during the Nintendo Direct, but definitely looking forward to playing more of Octopath. It's just a terrific summer game to play. Um, Yeah, I feel like you always need to have a a good JRPG in the background uh, during the summer months. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to playing more of that. And then I also beat my very first Sonic game. Congratulations. This week in Sonic Forces. I know I talked coming away from last episode, doing all the research for the Sega Genesis and, you know, really what made that console so special. 
really helped it to take off was the first Sonic the Hedgehog game. Yeah. And you and I both <laughs> have publicly stated many times that we're terrible at those games just because the sense of speed is is so different than Mario and it's just difficult to kind of wrap your head around that uh, in a platforming game. But I was kind of just hyped and wanted to play a Sonic the Hedgehog game. I didn't really want to play the original ones. I kind of wanted to start from, I would consider the bottom of the series or more closer to the bottom. I know, uh, speaking of Alec Chronolink 9-1, he platinumed Sonic Forces on the PS4 and said it's not necessarily the bottom of the barrel, but yeah, it can't touch anything like Sonic 2 or Sonic 3 and Knuckles. So I figured, what the heck, we got it free on PlayStation Plus, let's give this a try. And you know, by the end of it, I had a, a much better handle on the sense of speed. It still is difficult for me. Like in a Mario 3D platformer, I'm always taking my time I go out of my way to go around every nook and cranny to see if I can find all of the hidden collectibles. And with Sonic, it strikes a balance of having a lot of hidden collectibles, but you're going so damn fast, plus you're being timed, and your point values by the end is somewhat tied to how quickly you beat the level. It's like, I feel pressured to beat the level fast, but then I also feel tempted to collect the stuff. Yeah. Right? So... I struggled with that quite a bit. Okay. For me, I just focused on getting to the end of the level. I didn't really focus on collecting the stuff because, I I don't know, for me, Sonic isn't about trying to collect everything. So do you get points for the stuff or does it give you upgrades to like move faster, jump, or... To be perfectly honest, I don't know. There was cool. five of these red coins in every level. Mm. I have no idea outside of unlocking trophies what happens when you collect all of those red coins. Okay. Um, so it's not like Mario where you have the three giant gold coins and for each level you have three of those? Or is it maybe similar? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can collect 100 rings in every level, just yeah. the regular whole, uh, gold rings, and then there are these red coins. Okay. I don't know what all of that does, but again, it was one of those things where I wasn't going really deep into this game. I really kind of wanted to scratch the surface and just see what does it look like to beat a Sonic game? Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do in Sonic Forces. There's a really fun, campy storyline where it really kind of plays out as if you're watching a Sonic the Hedgehog car- Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. Mm. So that was fun. The soundtrack has this like crazy butt rock nonsense that, you know, the, the later Sonic games have been known for. So that was kind of fun. In the beginning of the game, you actually get to create your own Sonic avatar. So you can you can pick from like one of like six different species. So like a dog or a hedgehog or a bear or a cat or whatever else. And then over the course of these levels, you unlock all of these different outfits. And so you can kind of mix and match. And it's like basically dressing up your own me character for like a Nintendo console. Oh, that's cool. You know, you have all these different little outfits. And so by the end, I was wearing like a top hat and a monocle and like a black tuxedo. Uh, (laughs) My little character was like a purple dog. So... So Sonic Forces, when was that? Do you know when the release date was? That was probably like three to four years ago, if I had okay, to guess. Okay, so not super old. No. Okay. It's one of the more recent ones, and it was fun. I, I really did enjoy my time with it. There were 30 main levels, and of course, by the end, you're fighting Dr. Robotnik, who's the main villain of that series. He's kind of yeah. like the Bowser of the Mario series. But then in, in addition to that, you have this map, this kind of territory where there are all of these like little flags that you can choose from, and they're just basically random levels. So if I wanted to go back and kind of clear up 
clean up some trophies. I could definitely do that. I doubt that I will uh, because, yeah. again, I just wanted to experience a Sonic game from beginning to end. Took about three to five hours, and it was it was overall a pretty good time. Good. So I think you know maybe later this year. I still am kind of thirsty for more Sonic games and kind of just exploring the library of the Sega Genesis. So eventually, I'll probably just throw in the Sega Classics Collection on PS4, and it's really amazing how many of the games you and I were talking about last week that are on that collection. Okay. So Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4 are on it. Landstalkers on it. Is the Rocket one on there? That's like the biggest omission on that collection okay. is Rocket Knight Adventures. That one's not on there, but I think nearly every other game that you and I chose is. Um, Beyond Oasis, a lot of those RPGs. Castle of, Ava- Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse is not on there, probably for licensing reasons. Yeah, probably. But... Really an incredible collection of games. And to think that, you know, all of them just fit on a little disc nowadays. You can just pop in your PS4 and immediately have access to all of those is uh, pretty neat. So I'm looking forward to kind of just, again, experiencing more of what makes that library so special and why people that grew up playing the Sega Genesis kind of evangelized that it was in many ways better than the Super Nintendo. Yeah. For different reasons, of course. So, yeah. So good times there. But the game that I really have been anticipating this year have been really excited to play of course and it's it's interesting because at the beginning of the year i was looking back at my my list of top 10 most anticipated games and this was just an honorable mention yeah i was surprised by that when you didn't put it on the top 10 because i think this was like top five for me yeah um i ended up not getting it because i would not play persona 5 if it got this game but yeah it's looked amazing yeah so ratchet and clank a rift apart i think a lot of my reasoning for not it not being a really anticipated title for me was largely driven by my lack of playing the series since the ps2 i adore the original trilogy in the ps2 the first game's great going commando is still my favorite up your arsenal is wonderful i really enjoyed those original three games but then going into the ps3 generation you had Tools of Destruction, you had A Crack in Time, you had Into the Nexus, you had All for One. I mean, it felt like it was becoming the Sonic the Hedgehog series where every year they were pumping out another Ratchet and Clank game. Yeah. And for me, I don't, for a series that I really have a, a, a lot of, at this point I would say nostalgia for, I don't like it when it's milked like that, you know, because then the sense of anticipation is completely gone. Like a Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed. Yeah, it's like I, I don't have any desire to play those games when they come out, when they're annualized Yeah, like that. And so I think it's been enough time since we've had a Ratchet & Clank game. I think the last one was maybe the 2016 game on the PS4. And because I played that earlier this year and really fell in love with it, I literally played through it three times. Uh, once, obviously just going through it and then two times on new game plus because I wanted to get the platinum trophy. And I just had the time of my life was, I completely reminded why I fell in love with that series on the PlayStation two, just a ridiculous arsenal of weapons. Insomniac has just really gotten it down to a science at this point, how they continually to make continually make those games feel so fresh, so special the writing is always so comical and hilarious between Ratchet and Clank. And graphically, they always feel like a Pixar movie come to video game life. 
and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is no different. I spent about four hours playing it last night and was just completely mesmerized with this game. I mean, it is truly a technical marvel. If you look at the PlayStation 5 launch, I think Astro's Playroom was just a great showcase for the DualSense controller, Yeah. right? And then you had Miles Morales and Demon's Souls remake that really showed off graphically what the PlayStation 5 was capable of. Running in 60 frames per second was great, but I still felt like there was maybe a little a little bit missing in terms of like, I want to see the next thing. What is the next true next generation experience? And I think Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart completely fits that bill and then some i know many people when they first saw that trailer i think it was at the future of play thing when ratchet and clank rift apart was first revealed yeah last summer and ratchet was kind of riding that pterodactyl looking thing and going through those different dimensions and all of those different worlds were being rendered in real time like it looks cool in a trailer you know that's one thing to experience yeah and you're thinking it's cinematic and then I mean, I think in that one, they showed like 10 minutes of gameplay. And that's where I was kind of like, oh, okay, they're not just BSing us with some cinematic CGI. This is actually closer to what we're actually going to see in the game, which is nuts. Yeah. And then when you actually have the controller in your hands and it's happening on my 4K TV, it's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. Like it is so cool to see how far video games have come. Where these, all of these different environments are rendered in real time. There's no loading screen. There's nothing. And you're in the gameplay. Like, it's actually happening. It's not like you're watching a cutscene and then 30 seconds passes. And then it's like, okay, now you can play the game. It's like, no, this is me. I'm controlling this. This is happening. So that was just so freaking cool. And one of the other things that I was a little bit suspect or skeptical going into this game is like, Ratchet and Clank are my dudes, right? It's like my Jack and Daxter. It's my Sly Cooper, Bentley and Murray. I don't, my Sora, Donald and Goofy. I don't want anyone else to interject themselves into my, my favorite characters party, if you will. And so when they tease this, this female Lombax character named Rivet, um, of course she looked super cute, but I wasn't really sure how she kind of fit into this mold that I've been playing, uh, for so long. I'll tell you what. She is the real MVP. She is the star of this game in my eyes. She's, of course, voiced by the wonderful Jennifer Hale. She's one of the most well-known voice actresses in the business. She voiced the female Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. She's been in a number of anime, cartoons, voices a ton of characters in video games, including uh, Galadriel and most of the Lord of the Rings games. Oh, really? Including Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. But yeah, I mean, Jennifer Hale just really brings Rivet to life in such a wonderful way. But I do want to kind of just quickly set the scene for the story. If you're unfamiliar with the Ratchet and Clank series, I really feel like this is a perfect game to jump in on because I know you've never played a Ratchet and Clank game before. No, this was going to be my first. And they introduce it in such a way that if you've never played a prior game, you're not going to feel lost. Now, if you've played a lot of the games in the series like myself you see a lot of the longtime characters make an appearance. And it's one of those things that when Ratchet talks to them, it's like, Ratchet, buddy, what's going on? Oh, that's cool. For you, you might be like, I don't know who the heck this is. But for someone like myself, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember him and Ratchet and Clank going commando type of thing. But anyways, at the top of the game, if you've seen the trailers, you'll kind of know there's this celebration of heroes. 
Clank ends up gifting Ratchet the Dimensionator. It's kind of this gun that obviously, as the name would imply, can kind of open up these different dimensions. And that might be my a gap in my knowledge because I don't remember the Dimensionator being a thing in those early that earlier trilogy of games on the PS2. But regardless, they're having this really great heart-to-heart conversation. Clang's kind of saying, like, I'm nothing without you, Ratchet. They lock eyes. It's just so damn cute. Honestly, I the textures of Ratchet's fur is ridiculous. Yeah. I just want to kiss him on the nose and give him a little pet. He's just so cute, dude. <laughs> He's so... He's your video game scoob. He, he is. He's just so adorable. And they've... Oh, my goodness. Graphically, it's, they've done such a great job of just making him feel like I could just put my t- uh, put my hand in the screen and just pet his cute little head. But anyways, that's interrupted because Dr. Nefarious, who's kind of the main villain of the series, if you will, he's the Dr. Robotnik of the Sonic series or the Bowser of the Mario series. He ends up stealing the Dimensionator, creates this kind of like interdimensional explosion, which causes Ratchet and Clank to get sucked into a different dimension they land on the planet where Rivet is, and then Ratchet and Clank get separated. That's when Rivet picks up Clank. He's missing an arm at that point, so she's kind of just like, yo, I don't know what just happened to my city, but I think you caused it. Come with me. We need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, then Ratchet is kind of set on an adventure to try and find Clank, and Rivet with Clank is now trying to stop the nefarious in her dimension. Okay. The really unique thing about the game is that I thought and was kind of led to believe by the trailers that it was mostly Rivet's game. And I think that might be somewhat true. Again, I'm only four hours in, so it's a little tough to say. I'm not complaining because, as I was saying, Rivet has quickly become one of my favorite characters. And that's just a testament to Insomniac's writing and Jennifer Hale as the character, making her so believable and so lovable. But you have the same arsenal of weapons between both characters. So as you go to the different vendors and upgrade your weapons as Rivet, and then you shift back to playing as Ratchet in a later world, well, all of those upgrades carry over to Ratchet. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that it would suck if you had to upgrade him twice for both characters, but that's nice. Because they really could have taken it two different ways, right? They could have just had the same arsenal of weapons you have to re-upgrade, or they could have had really unique weapons to each character. And I think that's still the truth because Ratchet has a wrench and she has Rivet has a hammer. Mm-hmm. So there there are diff- subtle differences between the character and certainly how the character plays and, and kind of what they're capable of. But so far in the four hours I've played, they've struck a nice balance between going back and forth between the two characters, tying the story together in a unique way. I won't talk about, you know, how they're related, how they connect and all of that fun stuff, but... I mean, so far, again, it's a technical marvel. I feel like with each passing generation, the Ratchet and Clank games tend to be one of the the biggest um, showcases for what the console's capable of. Yeah. Certainly with the PS3 and Tools of Destruction, I think is what the first game was that came out for that console. And now with Rift Apart, it's just amazing how this series is still going strong three console generation, generations later. You know, Insomniac's humble beginnings with stuff like Spyro the Dragon, they moved on to stuff like Ratchet and Clank on the PS2, then they moved on again to the Resistance series on the PS3, but then they've come back to Ratchet and Clank with the PS4, 
and to and uh and the 2016 version and now in the ps5 so i'm glad the character has so much staying power but also three generations later in the four hours that i've played the game still feels so fresh and i'm still so in love with the characters awesome so um yeah i'll probably have finished the game by the time we record our next podcast episode uh the really unique thing about this game is that it's a relatively easy trophy or a platinum trophy i should say um the the guide that i was following said it only takes 10 hours to get the platinum but i'm taking my time i'm not following a guide for collectibles i'm just going through on an easier difficulty the first time around and then on the subsequent playthroughs on New Game Plus, I'll probably increase the difficulty and follow a guide to obtain the collectibles. But loving my time with Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart so far, it is... I don't want to continue to beat this drum and and be the, the PlayStation fanboy that many people say that we are on this podcast. But it's remarkable how in the midst of the pandemic, when people continue to talk about how development have been has been delayed for so many um triple a games and even smaller projects because people are working from home yeah how over the course of the past eight months from the playstation 5's launch we've got astro miles morales Sackboy, and demon souls remake at the launch and then shortly thereafter we had unique games like bug snacks the pathless destruction all-stars free on playstation plus we've gotten a ps5 upgrade for final fantasy 7 remake We've got Integrate, that new DLC. We've got Returnal from House Mark, House Marquee, or whatever the developer's name was for that, which was a really unique new IP. It was a risk for the company. It was a risk for Sony, but they had a vision. Sony funded it. Here it is. Returnal's got like a 89 or 90 on Metacritic, yeah. which is nuts. We've got Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart that for all intents and purposes, an absolute banger, right? It's got like nines across the board. And then right around the corner, we have Kana, Bridge of Spirits, and maybe Horizon Forbidden West by the end of the year. Yeah, it's a solid launch year. Like, that's insane, even if the pandemic never happened, let alone in the midst of it. Yeah, that's some solid planning. And it doesn't sound like, I mean, I can't confirm this, but like there wasn't too much overtime or crunch that needed to happen. Yeah, I mean, at least from, at least from the we're the about. one testimony from one of the developers of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, they were saying that um, he worked his 40 hours. It sounded like when he had to clock in overtime, he was compensated for it. Uh, there was no harsh crunch um, for the development of the game. And, and I hope we see more of that going into this next generation, especially with the pressures that come with the pandemic, the delays that have happened. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from the project managers to say, like, we've already delayed this game however many times it is. We need to work however much overtime it's going to take to get the game out as quickly as possible. But I hope going into this next generation, Series X, Switch slash Switch Pro, PS5, you know, we see less of the less and less and less of the crunch and more just taking the time these developers need to to make great games. Yeah, for sure. And I think Rift Apart is certainly it's a shining example of that. So I will probably have concluding thoughts on Rift Apart next week.
Ryan, we talked about it last week. We'll talk about it this week. It is the season of surprises. E3 is upon us. We're back. We took a year off, and I think we've already kicked off the E3 season pretty strong with Summer Games Fest. I don't think this has ever happened before, but it was a weirdo partnership with Amazon Prime Gaming, hosted by the one and only Jeff Keighley. What were your overall impressions before we get into the thick of it? We don't have to talk about any particular game, but beginning to end, pacing, what were your thoughts on Summer Games Fest? Two hours is a long time. Uh, It was like, so I watched the first half an hour or first, I mean, similar to what I explained earlier. I didn't watch the entire thing in one sitting because it was just long and I skipped to the end and after the conclusion, it was hard to go back. So I ended up finishing it and speeding it up uh, last night. So to complain about content, I feel like is a bad thing, but it was long. Um, I, I don't feel like it's an E3 without some cringy kind of stuff we had uh what's his face jeff goldblum bloom in there oh, yeah we had uh the chicken man from uh what's his face gus Wh- oh uh i think it's john carlo esposito yes I-, I forget how you pronounce his first name but yes yes the meth kingpin mm-hmm. from breaking bad um both cool um we had ryan reynolds in there who yeah. teased elden ring which was fun um, not a ton of games that I'm super excited to play through. I think it's more sparingly. There's lots of, I mean, we had probably one of the shortest trailers of all times, um, with Valorant, which was literally just a robot head for two seconds. And then it was Jeff being like, oh, wow, that was quick. <laughs> and then he just moves on. Oof. So yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I'm, I mean, I'm happy for any games and. Um, it's a good way to set the stage for the rest of this, say, next week of game conferences. Yeah, I would completely agree. It's definitely difficult to keep the hype pace for two straight hours. Yeah. Like, you can only announce so much, especially since this was meant to kind of um, transition us into the bigger E3, where all of these different companies have their own conferences, like Ubisoft, Microsoft Bethesda, Nintendo, so on and so forth. But... I think overall, you know, starting something new, I think Jeff Keighley has done an incredible job over the past several years making the Game Awards far more interesting to tune into. And if this is the first of many more Summer Games Fests to come, you know, I think it was certainly an admirable um, first stab at it. And he's just a really likable, um, energetic dude. You know, it's yeah. tough to, to have him hosting something and not feel engaged and I think we did get a, a couple of, of fun announcements, nothing that blew my socks off outside of Elden Ring, really. Um, but I think it was definitely a great way, as you were saying, to kind of kick things off. And if this is where we're starting, then I can only imagine the at least maybe three to five big things that we'll inevitably see over the next couple of days of E3. Yeah, it gives me some hope, especially with one big... F- like initial announcement that we're going to get some big stuff coming forward. I mean, hopefully next year we have people in the audience. We can get all of that enthusiasm and hear the, I mean, to hear the crowd cheer and like uh, freak out during an Elden Ring trailer would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, But hopefully next year when we get new games. Yeah. hundred percent. So 
I took the liberty of basically editing down the listing of games that were shown during the Summer Games Fest to like three because which it's kind of a little bit biased. I took a couple things that looked interesting and sounded interesting to me and some things that I think are highlights for people that may have not tuned in. But again, it's two hours of Jeff Keighley introducing a number of different people in the industry. They're talking about their games. There were some great trailers, things of that nature. But I, I don't think it's worth going down an exhaustive list of games for the sake of bringing people up to speed when you could go read an article pretty quickly. Yeah, and what I did, because I was trying to shrink that hour into less time last night, was I watched the trailers, and for most of it, it was developers talking about games. So I just quickly speed up to the next trailer, watch the minute or so, and go to the next. And you can skip a lot of the fluff to it, and that might help speed it up. But yeah, not everything's important. Yeah, sure. Definitely. All right. So the first thing that really caught my eye was the Tales of Arise trailer. We talked or we heard about this, I think, sometime last year. The next game in Bandai Bandai Namco's long running JRPG franchise continues the tradition of the real time combat. Doesn't really seem to mix up the gameplay formula too much outside of a new cast and characters and story. But I mean, we've talked about this many times, similar to Dragon Quest. I think that's what the fans have come to know and love about this series. I think to change up the formula too much would be disingenuous to what people have come to expect from the Tales of series. Looks really nice. uh, Very anime-inspired for sure. This one's releasing on September 10th, 2021. I believe it's coming to last-gen and current-generation consoles. I'm probably not going to get this day one or anytime soon because I have... Ease 8 and Ease 9 Nostrum Nox or whatever the heck the subtitle was for that that I picked up earlier this year. I have Near Replicant basically unplayed among, I guess, Octopath Traveler. I'll throw that one in there too. I have way too many RPGs under my belt right now. Not enough time to play them, so it doesn't make sense for me to buy Tales of Arise Day 1. And speaking of the Tales of series, last Christmas I was gifted as part of the Tarkaron gift exchange Tales of Graces F on the PS3, which is really the next game in that series that I want to play. Of course, I'm a huge fan of Vesperia, which, little PSA, if you've never played a Tales of uh, game before and you're looking for a great JRPG to, once again, similar to what I was saying about Octopath Traveler, kind of dip your toe into the water, but it's not going to be too over your head in terms of complexity battle system, story, characters, all of that stuff, check out Tales of Vesperia. We have the Definitive Edition on PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, probably PC. Pretty cheap these days. Definitely a great way to kind of get into the Tales of series. But I've also played um, Tales of the Abyss 3D on the 3DS. That was another fun entry into the series. But I think Grace's F is going to be the next one that I'm going to play. But what about you, Ryan? Any excitement for Tales of Arise? Yeah, I mean, I still have to play Vesperia. I put maybe 20 hours into it when I first initially got in there. JRPGs are just really hard to find the time to play. Um, This is one of the ones that I had on my watch list. We hadn't heard anything for a good while, so I was curious where they were at. Um, It's looking good. It looks a little last gen with some of the animations. Unfortunately, I was, I think, one of the screenshots or trailers last time looked amazingly new gen, which is what kind of hyped me up for it. Um, so it's kind of let down by the actual resolution. But overall, I'm I'm 
eventually going to get it. Not day one, because I don't think it's going to be worth 70 bucks for me with my backlog as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely something that I'll get in the future. Yeah, of course. Uh, the next thing I have here is Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Yes. This is a high fantasy Borderlands spinoff. I think it's based on DLC from Borderlands 2. Yep. That's what I was reading. The game has voice talent from Andy Samberg, Wanda Sykes, Will Arnett, and Ashley Birch, among others. I don't think it's officially part of Borderlands canon, uh, but if you like that style of humor, could be fun. My question to you, Ryan, is does Borderlands in the whole looter-shooter genre do much to excite you anymore? I mean, I made it really far into Borderlands 3. I mm-hmm. played and beaten Borderlands 1, 2, and then I never played the Handsome Jack prequel with the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Borderlands 2. Like, I played the absolute shit out of that game. Um, three, the main protagonists or antagonists were not as fun as I thought they'd be. You can't really compete with the craziness and intensity of handsome jack he was just extremely well written um it was interesting to see butt stallion referenced um, butt stallion being handsome jack's diamond horse statue pretty sure um tiny tina is a ton of fun she is just an explosive maniac um so it, i'm curious to see actual gameplay what it's going to turn out to be um the overall i wanted borderlands 3 to be awesome, I heard the DLC from David at my work was good. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm relatively excited. Cool. I still have Doom on the list, but that's less a looter shooter. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't do anything really for me. Uh, I'm a little bit burnt out from the looter shooter type stuff. I, I think it could be a lot more fun because I've traditionally played the Borderlands games solo. Yeah. Without, you know, co-op with a friend. So I think if you and I played Borderlands 3 or, you know, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands or whatever that ends up becoming, that could be fun. But, I mean, just thinking about it, it's not like, oh, I'm I'm going to pre-order this. I'm super excited to maybe play Borderlands 3 in the meantime. That, that genre just, I think it was really great for its time when it first kind of came out on the Xbox 360 PS3, that generation. But, yeah. Doesn't do a whole lot for me, but I'm excited for fans. I know a lot of people that were really pumped about this, so happy for all of those folks for sure. Yeah, I think Borderlands 3 would be fun as a Mm -hmm. co-op. It would probably get me to finish it. There was like a platforming boss that I just wasn't able to defeat, um, and it required a good amount of grind for me to get past it. Um, But overall, it it was a good amount of fun. Cool. That could be a good time. Cool. Yeah, we can definitely make that happen at some point in the future. Literally, the pretty much last big thing I have here written down is Death Stranding Director's Cut. Jeff Keighley had a pretty fun interview with Hideo Kojima, just asking him how he's doing, (laughs) how are things in Japan. Kojima was basically like, it's a shit show here still in Tokyo. Um, And they kind of went back and forth for a couple minutes. And then I literally thought it was going to be four minutes of them just talking and be like, okay, Kojima, looking forward to seeing what you're working on in the future. And then that was going to be it. But of course, there was a subtle tease at the end where Kojima said, wait a second, Jeff, I have a little thing to talk about. And it kind of kickstarted this weird Death Stranding trailer that almost looked like it was going to tie in solid. Metal Gear Solid as if, you know, he was going to be making a Metal Gear Solid without Konami, which I don't even think he could do. I was going to say, because it was questionable because he like pulled a box off the shelf, looked at it 
put it on the ground, got inside of it, and because it looked like he was going to stealth his way through kind of a warehouse or whatever, I was like, like, does that, it, I don't know, encroach on like a legal thing by just teasing it? I'm it's like, fucking Kojima. Yeah, what, I was like, he's going to do whatever the hell he wants. What, what, what is Konami going to really do? They're going to sue him? Like Konami <laughs> yeah. or Kojima will just laugh at them. Seriously. Yeah. So um, it was super trolly. Kojima's known for doing stuff like that. So it was very on brand for someone like himself. Uh, but it ended up being a tease for Death Stranding, the director's cut. Of course, I think Death Stranding came out in 2019, was lauded as being one of the best games of that year. Yeah. Very unique, very strange, very bizarre, a very Kojima-type game. It's one I put about 10 hours into, I think, last year during the the pandemic, which is definitely a very strange game. It almost kind of like foresaw like what we were going to end up and that's kind of the jokes that they're making that like kojima had predictions for like the pandemic they mentioned 9-11 and i didn't know if that like what he how he predicted that but they're basically like or he kind of mentioned like i need to think about what i want to predict next because it kind of comes true yeah it's very Which strange so we'll see what kojima's next big project is but i am looking forward to picking up the Death Stranding Director's Cut on PS5. I don't think we got a release date from that for that, but I assume it's either going to come later this fall or early early next year. That'll absolutely be something I pick up and buy because I can only imagine it's going to make really great use of the DualSense controller, yeah. especially when it's raining. I haven't I haven't played Returnal, but I've heard the use of the DualSense when it rains and just the environmental nature of it all. How they tie that to the feel of the controller is really unique. I'm sure they're going to do something similar with Death Stranding. I put 10 hours into that game. It was a fascinating concept. How it actually plays and whether or not it's fun is certainly something of to be talked about. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it wasn't something that I was like ready to jump right back into, but it definitely caters to a, a niche specific audience. And, and I, I want to experience what that story is all about. So I'll pick up the, the director's cut when that eventually releases. The next thing I have here, there were just a ton of, you know, trailers shown. Not a whole lot I think is worth reiterating or bringing up to the listener's attention. The one, I guess, two things that I did, I did write down was just two beautiful looking indie games. One of them being Tunic, which is this little isometric yeah. adventure game where you play as a fox. Looks very Zelda-like. Uh, I think it's coming to the Series X and Series S. And then Planet of Lana. I didn't have any notes tied to it, but it was just a very beautiful-looking trailer. Yeah, I had Tunic as well, and then Planet of Lana. Um, Planet of Lana really reminds me of some of the indie games that Lorne likes playing. Um, she usually likes those kind of side-scrolling, kind of art-inspired games. And that seems to be what that's about. Yeah. Um, yeah, on top of that, I think there's only really one other one that really interested me just because of the genre. It was Salt and Sacrifice. It was kind of a side-scrolling 2D Dark Souls-esque. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it almost towards... looked like a 2D Bloodborne or something. Yeah, kind of. It was definitely darker style. It looked interesting. We'll, uh, we'll have to see how it's received and some more gameplay, but mm -hmm. it looked cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Ryan, there's really only one other thing to talk about this week. That's your fun fact, and then we'll close things up for the show this week. Pretty short episode. There's really nothing else to talk about as it relates to the Summer Game Fest. 
uh, or really E3 for that matter. Yeah, we really wanted to, I mean, coming off of the two-hour last episode, give you a short and sweet, less than an hour long episode. So We're just kidding. Everyone have a good week. Buckle up, (laughs) strap yourselves in. Ryan's got 30 minutes of lore as it relates to a three-minute Elden Ring trailer. I know I was super excited to watch that trailer. Jeff Keighley teased it literally for the entire two hours going into the Elden Ring trailer. George R. R. Martin still is sitting on his ass, not writing books, but he is sitting on his butt, penning lore for this game uh, that he and Miyazaki have created in Elden Ring from software's back. And my goodness, was this trailer nothing short of spectacular. I'm excited to hear Ryan gush about it, all of the notes that he took and the research that went into it. But before we get into that, there is also another FromSoft fan uh, that probably rivals Ryan's excitement for Elden Ring, and that is Tamor Hussein. He works for GameSpot. He's been talking about this game for the two years that we've known about it, but he he recorded something on Twitch, and I think he watched the trailer, I don't even know how many times, with his audience, but there was this two minute clip that I saw on Twitter that I thought was just really special. It's just encouraging people to kind of embrace what they love unapologetically. I know I, I've been doing that for pretty much the 10 years that I've been on the internet, uh, whether it's YouTube, uh, podcasting, whatever else, everyone knows that Rusty loves Kingdom Hearts, Lord of the Rings, 3d platformers, stupid Disney jank ass PS one games. And uh, I never shy away from that. I never shy away from my love of ukulele, things of that nature. I don't think anyone else should shy away from the things that they love. Ryan playing RuneScape, Ryan collecting shiny Pokemon. If that's what you love, then embrace that shit. Yeah. So, Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, rally the troops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of what Tamar Hussein goes into here. So let's take a listen. Love what you love unconditionally and un- unrestrained. Don't let people tell you how much or how publicly you can love something. If you want to love something or you want to be excited about something, just fucking do it, man. Just do it. Like people are always going to be there to shit on it, but you know what? You know what? They don't. They don't just don't get it. Like enjoy it. Like there's so there's so little. There's so many. There's so few things that can bring you unbridled, genuine joy. Mm-hmm. In our lifetimes, there's so few things that can do that. Like genuine moments of like, oh, holy shit, I love this thing so much. And I'm so excited by this thing. Don't let those pass you by just because you don't want to seem like you don't want to look like weird in front of everyone else. Don't fucking matter what anyone else thinks, man. Like I I am a, a journalist and I... I cover games, so I have to maintain professionalism and, 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 you know, I have to be careful about, you know, showing favoritism, whatever. I don't give a fuck about any of that shit. I'm just excited about this video game. When time comes to cover it, I trust that anyone who reads my content or watches me will believe that I will give it a fair shake. Otherwise, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just going to be happy because there's so many shitty things happening in the world. Life is fucking weird and, and it's, and every opportunity is always trying to bring you down in some way or another. So when you get a chance to be excited about something, just be excited about it and don't let anyone tell you, telling you that you shouldn't be excited about it. Yucky or yum. Time to piss off. 
and do what you want to do, man. As long as you're not hurting anyone else, who fucking cares? Enjoy the Elden Ring trailer. Enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. Now let's watch some goddamn Elden Ring. All right, Ryan, the floor is yours and the cicadas. Tell us about Elden Ring. Tell us all the lore details. What do all of the good people need to know? What really went down in those three minutes that no one else saw but you? Yeah, so uh, the way I structured this is I start out with some of the lore, um, what we know about, like, from their website that's been added, I guess, in the last couple days. And then I kind of went by scene by scene or moment by moment within the trailer and what is confirmed or what we can now glean from it. Okay. Um, and then at the end, uh, there were 24 screenshots that were released on the Elden Ring website, and I picked out a few that actually matter. Okay. Um, so there are about six YouTubers that I kind of follow when it comes to um, lore, uh, PvP content, speed runs, challenge runs within YouTube that I kind of I watch their reactions to and some of their thoughts as well. Uh, the first one being Prod, he does challenge runs. Um, there's lots of mods that they have on Dark Souls 3. You have Chase the Bro and Fighting Cowboy, which are kind of the PvP kind of insights to Elden Ring, just in case anyone wants to find more stuff on this on their own. You have Distortion 2, who is a speedrunner. He held the world record in Sekiro for the longest time on any percent. It was like 20 minutes or something ridiculous. Jeez. Um, you have Lobos Jr., um, who is known mostly for his, like, I think, spoon-only Dark Souls 1 run or blindfolded Dark Souls 1 run. And he does a bunch of challenge runs. And then, obviously, you have Vati Vidya, who's basically the lore dude. Um, so this game, three-minute trailer, what can we glean from it? Um, this, right now, is going to be off the website. So the game, the trailer, opens up with... Um, what appears to be the new type of firekeeper, some like a lady in her cloaked robe coming off a horse. It doesn't look like that horse is going to be the one that you use because um, it doesn't have horns. It looks more like a goat for your mount. And for people that have never played a Dark Souls game before, the firekeeper, who does she represent? So Why the firekeeper is generally the one who you go to within like kind of the safe area um, to level up. She's kind of the one who helps you on your journey. Okay. Um, and then we obviously see the tree, which kind of looms over everything in this trailer. Just this magnificent, like, scale. Um, bigger than, I think, anything we've really seen in the past. And the name of that tree is called the Erd Tree. Kind of looked like the tree from Dragon Quest. Yeah, uh, Yggdrasil. Mm-hmm. Um, it means the same thing. I think it's just a different language. Um, Nord versus German. Erd tree in German uh, means earth or world tree. So it's essentially the same thing, the world tree. So let's see. Getting into the lore, what's on the website. So it starts out, the golden order has been broken. And it seems like um, we, as the main character, were once part of this golden order but were exiled a long time ago um rise tarnished and be guided by the grace 
to banish the power of the Elden Ring and become an Elden Lord in the lands between. So Tarnished seems to be kind of the new classification. Previously, it was Unkindled Ash or a Hollow. So Tarnished seems to be kind of new the new lowest level of society. That's like the most... Dark Souls ass lingo I've ever heard. <laughs> Tarnished, unkindled ash, hollowed, undead. So it's, yeah, it seems to be outside of like the Dark Souls realm what you are. And then like in Bloodborne, you're a hunter. Um, so he's so tarnished. Um, looking into that a little bit. Um, tarnished means something that loses its luster. Usually you hear tarnish when it comes to like silver jewelry. When it's lost kind of its sheen. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you can actually, going back to trailer one, you can actually see on that Valkyrie's arm some level of corrosion. She's actually corroding away, um, which is cool. So we're assuming that she's tarnished. Um, And then also the hair of the main character is white. Um, So in your fall from this golden order... Um, as now a tarnished, you lost your red hair. So you see the Valkyrie who has red hair, who's slowly tarnishing away. And then you also have the red haired giant in the first trailer, who has, is probably part of that golden order. So new classification, which is cool. Uh, so getting back into the lore, uh, in the lands between ruled by Queen uh, Marika, the Eternal, the Elden Ring, The source of the Erd tree was shattered. So it seems like underneath this Erd tree and potentially the center of the world is where you see in the beginning of the trailer that shattered realm um, with the dragons flying in the background. And that seems to be where the Golden Order meets. Uh, Marka's offspring, demigods all, claim the shards of the Elden Ring known as the Great Ruins. And the mad taint of their newfound strength triggered the war, uh, the war called the Shattering. A war that meant the abandonment by the greater will. Whether the greater will is like a like overarching god, it's unclear, but um, yeah. So now the guidance of the grace will be brought to the tarnished who were sp- spurned by the grace of gold and exiled from the lands between. Ye dead who yet lives from the grace long lost, follow the path to the lands between, beyond the foggy sea, to stand before the Elden Ring, and become an Elden, an Elden Lord. Was this part of the narration of the trailer? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. So this is on the, their Elden Ring website, kind of an overview of the main motivation or plot. Okay, gotcha. So it seems like you as a tarnished are seeking to become an elder lord and regain your once uh, i guess standing in society so it's a tonal shift from what we're seeing in the dark souls series previously previously you were an undead trying to hold to the kind of last remnants of life seeking the flame or eternal flame to kind of restart or hold life um, in this one, in Elden Ring, you are tarnished who is fighting for lordship, which you were denied. Mm. So, I, I haven't played much of the Lord of the Rings series um, 
when it comes to like Shadow of Mordor. Um, but I think how this one is set up, you're going to be switching between um, open world with dynamic encounters. And by dynamic encounters, I mean, we saw that kind of cart uh, that was, I guess, being pulled by those two giants and all the hollows behind it. So kind of those dynamic encounters. And then also juxtapose that with the kind of dungeon castle corridor type experience. And then you have caves and dungeons with torches throughout. Mm. But it seems like you're going to go to each one of the castles throughout the land fight the final boss in that area, potentially gain some of their power, and then also collect their greater ruins, which brings you towards the final goal of being an Elden Lord. So this is all fascinating stuff. I'm just curious if the website, or if you know this answer or not, I'm not really sure, how much George R. R. Martin, like where did his influence come into play? Was it just the kingdom aspect of it all? Or like, I mean, I I know the the lore. He wrote it all? Yeah. Yeah. I think Miyazaki had, uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure what I've read is he had kind of an outline he met with George R. R. Martin because Miyazaki loved his work and George R. R. Martin or Miyazaki kind of was like, hey, here's what I'm thinking of like an overall open world. Can you write the lore? And then he kind of just let Martin go crazy. Dude, it's been like 15 years since he's come out with his last book. And then Miyazaki shows up and is like, yo, bro, you got a month. Write my write my video game. And Martin's just like, sure. I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I haven't read the, the books. So like, I don't have – I don't share in the frustration of those that have read the books. However, knowing that this game has been in development for – I don't know, what do you say, Ryan? Four years, something like that, probably. Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm sure the book readers of Game of Thrones are probably pissed yeah. that he took a sidebar to create this game. For not reading Game of Thrones and having watched a TV show, I could give two shits about the books. All I care about is Elden Ring. <laughs> well, and <laughs> but it, I'm, yeah, it's it also, depends. I mean, you know, to kind of piggyback on the frustration of the, the fans of the books, I mean, he's also co-producing or whatever his role or involvement is i know he has a heavy hand in producing like the four different shows that are currently in development too so i don't foresee these books ever coming out and i don't know if he has like a christopher tolkien to come in he has two people who go through and help edit his books who i think he stated in interviews um they've corrected him on like the gender of horses that he mentioned like a book or two back well, so he has two people who are very well versed in the lore who would succeed. Him. So he has a contingency plan is what you're talking about. Yeah, because he's going to croak eventually. Yeah. And it's it's for sure going to be before the books are done. Yeah, because he's already, like I think, in his mid-70s. Yeah. So. so. Okay, back to well, Once Ring. he writes Elden Ring 2. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so getting back to Elden Ring... So that's kind of the main premise of the game. Um, there's going to be far more intricate George R. R. Martin plus Miyazaki lore, but that's currently what we know now. Um, so as far as the combat, it looks like Sekiro, they tested the jumping mechanic along with the stealth mechanics um, and then listened to the player feedback, which is 
Sekiro was a very linear story-based game compared to the Dark Souls, um, which has a ton of replayability. So they're kind of what was tested in Sekiro with those two mechanics. They're now merging into the more RPG aspects of like a Dark Souls 3, which is a cool combination. And you'll be happy to know the combat style is not like Sekiro. Thank you. It is Dark Souls. Yeah. Um, so as far as the bonfire goes, I think Nintai brought it up in the uh, Discord, but talking about movable bonfires. Mm. And we see in the trailer, there was uh, the main character at a campsite at night. Um, so it looks like that's a very good potential. There was cut content for Dark Souls 3. Um, that showed FromSoft was experimenting with movable campsites and checkpoints. Interesting. So it was already in the works, but it never made it into the actual game. Uh, so that's a probably a good potential. So you'd potentially put the, your campsite outside of one of those castles, and that's where you would respawn if you die. Um, as far as stealth goes, um, I think it's the last screenshot in that list of 24 there's a screenshot of the main character hiding in bushes um similar i don't know if you ever got to this fight in sekiro but it's the first shinobi hunter in the dream there are bushes next to it where you can stealth kill um the mini boss Mm. and it looks like that's how in that picture they're approaching attacking the caravan um so with that kind of dynamic encounter that's one approach that you could do. Um, and then you also see stealth as well later in the trailer when you, they're approaching that monk. Um, he's crouched down. So the next thing we see in... So now getting out of kind of the overarching thing, this is where we're getting into kind of a play-by-play of the main takeaways from the trailer. And this is a line, linear recap so if you want to have this up when you're listening, you can go through it at the same pace I am. Mm. So the next thing that we see is the bell walker. Um, it's that four-legged creature with a bell underneath. Um, on top of that creature is actually a temple. Oh. Yeah. So we, like, similar to that caravan potentially going through, like, wandering a specific route in the world... This bell walker, you might have to wait for it to get near a cliff for you to jump on top of it to explore the ruin on top. Okay. Which would be really cool. It really reminds me of Horizon Zero Dawn with those tall necks, Mm -hmm. um, which help you expand the world. You had to wait for them to go towards a cliff, and then you could jump onto it and then climb up its head. Yeah, I love that aspect of that game. Yeah, and it'd be interesting. I don't know if this would be, if there'd be multiple multiple of these, or if... You would have a map system similar to like an Assassin's Creed or Horizon. That would be a big change. Um, just having, I think, a map in general. So I guess we'll see if that's their approach. Um, the next really cool thing is the mounts. Mm. So previously we haven't had mounts in, I don't think, any of the games. Um, and I really like how they've done this. Um, so this is not summoned or spawned. So you click a button and the horse just spawns out of nowhere and runs at you. Kind of like Ghost Ghost of Tsushima. It just spawns out of the great void and you have to hunt, like kind of run around and look for it. Um, This one, um, it summons underneath you and you start running immediately. 
So the uh, internet right now is calling the Mount Yakul after the Mount in Princess Namanoke. It has a very similar. Oh, Princess Mononoke. Prince, yeah. Studio Studio Ghibli film. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's very similar, and in the past, FromSoft has pulled a lot of inspiration from that film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, And then on the Japanese Elden Ring site, um, it's called a Spirit Horse. Um, Now, is this the one that literally jumped vertically like a thousand feet in the air? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, So this is the one that spawns underneath him. He's gliding along over kind of those rocky bridges. And then he's later in the trailer, like jumps up a cliff mm-hmm. um, and then into combat. So I think the previous rumor is there is one mount in the game, which is that like goat. Um, you're cool. Um, there's possibly two with what we're seeing with that phantom deer later in the trailer. So maybe that's an upgrade to your horse, but I'd be cool with just one. You're cool. Um, it's most likely going to be a directional pad summon, um, which would be pretty easy. And then for the cliff scaling, like you mentioned, it it's probably going to work something similar to like the Sekiro grappling points. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's going to be you cause that jump or that ring of energy before that he jumped off a cliff, or it's specific locations is kind of not clear. But yeah, no, I'm excited to traverse the world because it looks significantly bigger than anything we've seen in the past. Um, and then the mountable combat, which we saw that segment of you riding in on your horse, attacking the main horse guy with those two giants carrying the carriage. That was the uh, exact same scene that we saw in that leaked trailer, like a month or two back. Okay. Um, so it looks like there's going to be aerial combat or more aerial combat, as you jump off the horse and he kind of dissolves back into magic, which I think was a really cool way to um, get rid of your horse without having him just sitting outside of the battle. Um, And then your horse is confirmed to have one jump and then he also can double jump. Uh, Whether that's off of like a magic platform or what it's in the scene with the, that big four winged dragon um, that kind of looks like Madeir from Dark Souls three you, you can actually see your horse double jumping in air, which is cool. Um, let's see. So with the carriage where it shows that mountable combat, um, you see a lot. You have those two giants and then you have all those hollows. And what's really cool is that's potentially like a wandering mob around the map, meaning you could potentially encounter that in different locations throughout your journey. Oh, interesting. So not just the one environment that we saw it in the trailer, but potentially other locations. So with the stealth mechanic and that last screenshot, you could wait until it approaches the bush and passes you by and you can stealth kill the hollows, which are really allows you to kind of play out whether you have like different disadvantages or advantages to how you approach this caravan. Um, this would also kind of alleviate the, um, critiques of Sekiro with the lack of replayability. Um, this would complete, like you could potentially change up your entire approach throughout multiple playthroughs. Um, let's see. And then there was also a lesser known press release about Elden Ring 
saying that there's a natural day and night cycle. Oh, I did read that. And yeah. then also weather systems. Which is sweet, because yes. we've never had that in a Dark Souls no, game No, we before. haven't. Um, so whether you approach at night to more hide in the dark, or whether you approach in the rain, um, yeah, it allows for a lot of different approaches. And then it really reminds me like of taking out the hollows first, and then taking down the giants, and um, it reminds me of Sekiro, the stealth system with the Juzu, the drunkard, where you're able to go in kind of a side house, take down a few of his minions or like hollowed like foot soldiers, take out some of the ones around him to lessen the pain of the actual fight with the boss, mm. who also has some minions around him. Now, the next thing we see is the main character kind of walking towards a painting within a hall. And what it reminds me of is there's three different locations in the Dark Souls series where we see paintings. The first of which is the painted world of Erymis, which is in Dark Souls 1, which allows you to go in and kind of explore a world. Um, And I think there was one boss in there. Um, The like offspring of a dragon and the main boss. Um, the next time is in Dark Souls 3, the painted world of Ariendel. Um, and then lastly is the final painting at the very end of the second DLC in Dark Souls 3. So it's possible that we're approaching that painting to get to a separate kingdom to maybe get uh, one of the greater ruins, which would be cool. Um, it's The painting was kind of blurry. Um, it's hard to make out, but... It's possible that the final boss of that trailer, that like armed guy, was on the painting or mm. one of the kings. Okay. Uh, next, we cut to the crypt where we see these cro- these pot creatures. It wasn't clear if those were enemies or um, NPCs, but it really reminded me of the pot noble in Sekiro. It's a little guy just chilling in a pot with one hand over the side. And you were able to buy Shinobi arts and some upgrade materials and things from him. And then within that crypt, we also see a leggy dude. He really reminds me of the spiders in Irithel Dungeon with all those legs. I don't know if you remember those. Cool. <laughs> Rusty's shaking his head. <laughs> like, no idea. I mean, dude, it, you're, the way you're, like, pitching this and talking through these things is if, like, it's common knowledge to the people listening. Sorry. It's, no, no, it's not to the... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in any way, like, saying be better or, or do it differently. It's just funny because, like, it's coming across so, like... You're saying it so eloquently. Nonchalantly. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, ear-fill spiders. Yeah, and, and everyone else is probably just, like, either I have... Yeah, I don't even know, dude. I, I'm struggling to talk because, similar to last week, these cicadas are so distracting for me, so I'll... I don't want to keep apologizing, but I'm going to. And then, again, it's just very hot in here. Yeah, so so I'll carry the team for the rest of this. And then, yeah. So, yeah, it looks like those are the ear-fill spiders. And that's really like the midway point in the game in Dark Souls 3. And they gave a shit ton of XP, so I've spent many hours killing them. Um, But that encounter also kind of confirms three main things about the combat which confirms the Dark Souls 3 style. So the approach to that, they use an R, or like a power attack R2 to start that combat phase. 
the spider attacks the guy, which then he two-hand blocks with his sword. And then he parries and critical attacks by stabbing the dude in the face. Um, so very Dark Souls 3-esque. The next thing in the trailer is a dude named... I named him the Nameless King because he kind of reminds me of the Nameless King. It's the dude who falls out of the sky with his cloak. Um, his head kind of looks like the milkweed ruin in Bloodborne. Um, that's the DLC. You kind of get that in the hospital. Um, it kind of looks like a cabbage head. Um, and then his robes are similar to Nameless King, but that dust animation where the main character puts his hand up to block that dust um, is second phase Nameless King once the Nameless King stabs his Storm Drake. That big dust billow comes at you and you make that exact same. It's more or less copy and paste animation. Um, and then the arena for that fight looks very similar to the Dark Souls 3 uh, Dragon Slayer armor arena, where it's kind of a small bridge as you're making your way into the castle, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so the moveset of that, I watched this like three or four times just rewinding it because it looked very familiar uh, the attack from the guy, he throws like a short sword or a dagger at you, and then he does this wide open sweep at the character. I'm like, I've seen that animate, or both of those animations before, and I was surprised that no one in, like, even the speedrunner, like, distortion wasn't picking up on it, but it's because he does a different ending. So that animation's actually from the owl in Sekiro. Um, he, so the speedrunning route says yes he doesn't fight the owl goes to the shorter ending owl is the longer ending so they won't see that but that's the exact same animation and then it ends with his plunge attack with like a magical hammer and there's two animations that are very similar to that within the series there's the owl again who does a front flip pound attack with his katana and then there's also artorius so the front attack with the power of like his great sword. Um, so it looks like they more or less ripped the moveset off of the owl and put it onto this character. And then the feet and the hands look very similar to the owl's character model, if you look closely, which is interesting. Next, this is, I don't know, hit or miss. Kind of at first glance, it looks like there's potentially combat arts, but the more I look into it, potentially not. Um, so this is where you jump off in the trailer is where you jump off your horse at some of the guys around a caravan and the guy does a slash and does a backwards flip. Um, so that really reminded me the combat art in Sekiro is called the uh, night jar slash reversal and it has that same flip back. Uh, but then looking at the character's weapon, it's a curved great sword. Um, very similar to the old wor wo old wolf curve sword in Dark Souls 3. It's a covenant weapon um, early in the game. And it has the exact same uh, weapon art. So it looks like there will be weapon arts for specific weapons. And maybe some combat arts, which are L1, R1. Uh, right after that, I have Edward, question mark. 
Uh, there's a wolfman kind of roaring off into the distance. Whether that's you or if it's an NPC, it's unclear. It would be cool if you could change into a, like an animal because one of the like an armored animal character because um, one of the bosses is like an armored lion guy. But yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> the next thing is the summons and PVP, which I'm really glad they're bringing back. That's a ton of replayability. It looks based off of Dark Souls 3. So I think on the website it's called Spirit Bodies. There is also a spirit bird in one of the screenshots. So you can um, use a consumable. It looks like basically you squeeze a tesseract and you summon your either phantoms or your uh, summon bird, which is cool. Uh, so multiplayer is confirmed. There was no reds in the trailer, but if there's blues, there's probably reds. And then it's unconfirmed whether they're going to do Sun Bros. I think the world would have exploded if you saw like Solaire Sun Bros in the trailer, some golds. But very cool. And then one thing that one of the YouTubers pointed out was they f went frame by frame looking at the combat of like the PVP and you see the guy that they're both, they're all, all three of them are facing ducks down and the dude like does his whip around. And if you look closely, the whip actually goes over his head, but because of the input or the lag of the servers, it actually registers as a hit, which is pretty accurate to online stuff, which mm. is, I thought a cool take. Next, we go to the giant dragon, which is just an amazing visual. Um, just the scale of it all. I named him Madir. He, if he's, if that fight is as good as Madir in the second DLC of Dark Souls Three, then, then it's going to be an amazing fight. Um, he summons Red Lightning, which is really reminiscent of the Sekiro Desi Divine Dragon fight, which the final phase of that is all lightning based. Um, and it looks like he uses the sunlight spear magical attack by slamming it into the ground and having pulsating electricity go out, which is really cool. Um, also colored red, which is unique. Um, right after that, it goes into, I named him Nameless Tiger. Um, it's this armored tiger guy also using red attacks. Um, he uses a red shockwave which is kind of like a crescent blast and again it looks like they're pulling inspiration from the Sekiro divine dragon final phase fight where he's shooting these shockwave blasts at Sekiro. Um, and then there's an animation that's confirmed so that there's a quick step animation to dodge that crescent which is the quick step tied to daggers and short axe weapons so we have two weapon types confirmed. Uh, we have the dagger and the short step or short axe. With that, we also have the crescent uh, blades earlier. And then it looks like he jumps over an attack there as well. So we're getting the Sekiro jump, which is great for verticality and movement. Um, next, it cuts to the Valkyrie, the Valkyrie that we saw in the first trailer. Um, if you look down into it, it looks like the Valkyrie is holding a katana, but the katana doesn't have a hilt on it. 
It's just the katana blade, which is kind of unique. Um, it's the same girl who attaches her hand on the first trailer. And then in this trailer, she stabs the main character up in the air, which is actually a very similar opening to the penetrator boss at the end of Demon Souls. Um, very similar opening to where the penetrator stabs one of the fat merchant dudes um, in that cutscene. So pretty cool callback uh, imagery there. After that, it cuts shortly to this red infested knight looking guy. Um, his moveset, he does a like two-handed plunging attack with his like, the great sword or sword, um, which is the exact same movement as the Dark Wraiths in Dark Souls 3. And then he also uses the Dark Hand Attack. Dark Souls 3, Dark Hand Attack is like it's usually a shield, but it also grabs you and sucks out your humanity. Uh, so that'll be interesting how he does that or what being a tarnished, how like what he sucks out of you when he force grabs you. Um, and then also in that shot, uh, the main character is using dual blades. Um, so it's confirmed that there's twin swords. And the sword look kind of reminds me of the dancer's swords that you get as the boss weapon. So cell swords in Dark Souls 3 were the main speed running weapon just because of the amount of hits and damage per second that you could output. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that's affected. So the next thing in the trailer are two scenes with the dragons um, and what I'm really hoping for or what would be fucking amazing is they took inspiration from Skyrim mm -hmm. and similar to the other dynamic events where you run into the caravans, you run into giants in the woods, which is confirmed in the screenshots later on. If there are multiple dragons, which we previously saw at the beginning of the trailer just flying around in the background, if those constantly are coming to attack the player as he's flying or, or like I don't, riding the elk around the world, that would be awesome. Mm. I would love multiple dragon attacks. Um, and then there's also, right before the player is engulfed in flames, one other weapon type is confirmed. The player is holding a hammer. Um, I can't really think of any time that a hammer is ever used in any of the other Dark Souls. Usually it's a giant mace. Um, think Vorts in Dark Souls 3, mace. I can't think of any other weapon that would be shaped like a giant hammer, but it's cool. We get hammers. Uh, the next scene is basically a fire, Ornstein and Smo. So you got the Smo. Same body type, but he's got kind of this flaming chalice that shoots fire everywhere. Um, which is a, an interesting fight, to say the least. And then a net, uh, the weapon that the character is holding is kind of a claymore that expands off-screen. So claymore or two-handed longswords are confirmed. So that's good. Um, next is Yorm the Giant, that big giant. The it, I'm assuming he's going to be similar Probably a gimmick fight, similar to Yorm in Dark Souls 3. But the interesting thing about his weapon is it doesn't look like a two-handed sword. It looks like a twin blade. Think of Darth Maul. So a blade on each side where you're gripping kind of middle or third through the blade. And the only time we saw twin blades were Dark Souls 2. 
which was one of the most powerful weapons in the game. So it'd be really cool if they bring back Twin Blades and we can play with them through in uh, Elden Ring. Uh, the next screenshot is a giant castle with some blue energy floating around it. And it really reminds me of Irithyll of the Boreal Valley cal- or castle in Dark Souls 3. That's where you fight Pontiff Sullivan. You have kind of those um, inhabitants, ghost forms walking around. More ethereal than most of the other environments in Dark Souls 3. Um, so hopefully it's similar to that. It also, I think, reminds me of Demon Souls Stage 4, where it's a more magic-based castle. <coughs> um, the uh, next scene is the stealth um, to the monks. There's monks kind of in this longer room. almost looks like a church. Um, reminds me of the inside of right after you beat the dancer in Dark Souls 3. You go up those stairs. And you're in Lothric's castle. And it kind of reminds me of that kind of setting. But the interesting takeaway from this is the main central monk is wearing a helmet. And that helmet really reminds me of the pinwheel mask from Dark Souls 1. Uh, It has like three faces on it. So potentially you'll be able to, just like Dark Souls 1, wear that mask. Um, After that we go into magic. We've seen a few spells at this point, the first of which is against that nameless king earlier, uh, where you raise up your sword, a magic sword, and slam it down on him. It reminds me of the Sword of Storms that you use in Demon Souls uh, versus that like flying manta ray dude. Um, you have against those monks that I mentioned previously, you have almost like a monster hunter insect glaive which is like a magical tip that you use. Um, the leaked trailer showed homing soul masses, which you don't see in this, but it's basically five orbs of energy that when you roll, it, it the, the soul masses go after the target in that direction. And then lastly, you get the Kamehameha wave that it show, is shown after this. It's basically Kamehameha wave out of your staff, and that's called soul stream. So that's very cool. The next scene is the glowing flying deer guy. (coughs) It's a very similar setting to the Shushiman warrior in Sekiro. So think a giant cavern deep underground. And it's a very energy-based contrast between like the darkness of a cave and then you have the glowing of the energy. So in the Shushiman Warrior, he shot energy balls at you. I think it was pink or purple. And in this one, it's this flying kind of Patronus deer guy flying around. And it's a very similar um, look to it. And then also on the ground are little Patronus deer, like little deerlings around it, which I thought was kind of adorable. The next scene, getting closer to the end of the trailer... I've heard the in the description on the website, the queen's name is Marika, but I've also heard before this trailer, the 11 queen. I'm not 100% sure which one's correct. It sounds like Marika's her true name, but where 11 queen came from, it's unsure. So I have heard the description as hag with a knight. <laughs> so you have her sitting in a chair with this giant looming knight guard behind her. It's possible 
um, that this is a covenant um, that you would go to her and similar to um, some of the covenants in Dark Souls 3, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but there's a princess in Dark Souls 3 at a hidden castle that's actually a covenant of the Dark Moonblade. Um, this could potentially be a covenant. And then a little bit earlier, you see the main character praying to a maiden, which is also could be another uh, joiner covenant scene, which would be cool. Um, very unique uh, weapons and items, spells that you get from covenants. That's the pain in the ass kind of trophy hunting shit, though. <laughs> and then, so that knight also appears. So the one that's standing behind uh, the queen is the same shield and same great sword as the winged knight later in that trailer. That kind of angel looking guy. So it's potentially you piss off her and the knight comes after you. But yeah, same. Looks like it's the same guy. Uh, next, you have a quick screenshot. There's a really quick, like, rapid-fire bosses at this point in the trailer as we're kind of ramping towards the end. It's like a giant hand. It reminds you of Spy Kids, except just nuts. It also, there's a monster in Dark Souls 3, and this monster sucks. It's basically like a hand face that grabs you and eats you with, like, the butt of a hippopotamus um, called the uh, Monstrosity of Sin, which is an app name uh, on the trailer hand. It appears like it kind of reminds me of high Lord Wolmer in dark souls three, where it's basically a giant skeleton guy who has uh, like rings or cufflinks that you have to break. The hand in this trailer has a giant ring on his middle finger that really resembles the dark plate ring from dark souls three, which is resistance to dark. Um, so maybe you weaken him by breaking that ring. So a similar mechanic. Um, and then you also confirms as the character shoots a fireball at this creature. A really disgusting creature. Next, there was a quick shot of like a flaming shield dude with arms and like a flaming tongue on a cart that's going towards you. Um, this reminds me of in the Demon Souls... Uh, prison world four you have that giant prison guard who shoots arrows at you maybe this is kind of one of those where it's not an actual boss but it's kind of a hazard to going through a castle which would be interesting and then we have another weapon type confirmed your care the character there is uh, wielding a spear so just another weapon type so an ever-growing arsenal that the character or we can get to play with the next thing is the hand grabbing you there's like a giant face not much to say about that there's a hand grabbing you and the only notable thing about the hand grabbing the character is the dude who is controlling that character is completely naked um just he's probably speed running at that point but he only has his loincloth on and you can definitely see some graphical upgrades when it comes to the definition of the character models compared to say dark souls 3 mm. <clears throat> and then lastly we get into the final dude of the trailer it's the big giant king guy with a lot of hands on his back um so this appears to be the if you re remember back 
two years ago at this point, where we got our first trailer where it's all of those inner grasping or interlocking hands with a head in the middle looking down with like a crown on it. This appears to be the same guy with all of those hands on his back. Um, and then on his giant axe that he slams down, there's a lion crest, which we're, we saw that crest on a lot of different bosses and enemies throughout the entire trailer so far, and then also on banners. So that seems to be, whether it's the like that golden company or that council or what, that seems to be a main kind of uh, thing in the game. And then... Uh, lastly, the character model really reminds me of Ludwig from the first DLC, or for the only DLC, in Bloodborne. And you see some of the combat with that character, and he has a really heavy swing of that axe at the player with a lot of weight behind it. Um, that, I believe, I didn't look this video up, but... I believe that's the same move, phase two, as Ludwig when he's holding the Holy Moonlight Greatsword. Um, because I've died to that on a low-level Moonlight run enough. Um, so that's kind of the main trailer that we saw. And then outside of that, there are about 24 pictures released on the Elden Ring website. And there's a few notable ones. I'm, I'll run through those quickly. <coughs> um, so image three is st let's see so it's a very nice and high resolution still of that king with all the arms and that model more further confirms the kind of resemblance of like the weird ludwig kind of look um, the image seven is a giant roaming around in the woods it kind of reminds me of the giant or the church giant. I don't know if you remember that from Bloodborne. Uh, just this giant dude with like a cloak over his head, just kind of running through the woods. I think the image is of you on horseback running alongside him. So it's another potential dynamic event that you would run into just while exploring this giant open world. Image 10 is some of those pot dudes, uh, those like pots with harms. And in the center of it, it looks like they're looking at a glowing light, which is probably an item. Uh, so it, it's just a cool image there. Image 11 is an image that really reminds me of Ghost of Tsushima. It's horse battle. So it's your main character riding to the right. And it's a an enemy on a horse riding to the left. And you have this brilliant kind of sunset in the background. So it really reminds me of some of the screenshots I took and the beauty of that. Question for you. Is it possible to save these photos down and post them on the Discord under... I can post a link. Photo mode hype? Yes. Yeah, so I'll post a link to where those photos are and you can go through all 24 of them. Nice. So, <clears throat> so image 14, uh, it's kind of a guy walking through a hallway with a flail and it's a character on the ground making an emote that says basically like don't hurt me so whether this is confirming emotes or not um, it kind of looks like it potentially like a pvp situation and then it also kind of confirms flails in the game which is a new weapon type the next really cool image is image 15 which is of combat between a 
similar to like a Black Knight in any of the Dark Souls games, really, with an ultra great sword and then versus the character. It really reminds me of some of the like concept art of like Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones on some of those battles. So it's kind of the imagery of like Game of Thrones on that. So I have three more. So you have image 16, which is of a character that kind of reminds me of like a mini dancer from Dark Souls 3 who is riding this horse, which looks to be undead and rotting as you're going through this dark swamp at night with glowing like bugs and creatures in the background. Um, So really cool contrast in darks and lights. Image 20 is where we got the first look at that familiar, other than the the goat or your your mount, but it's the summon of the character destroying basically a tesseract or consumable. And you have on the left-hand side this like summoned magic bird flying into screen as you're going after enemies. It's very cool there. It'll be interesting to see what they do with familiars if the bird's the only one. You have your mount, and if they have any other ones. Um, Yeah, one of my favorite skills in Skyrim and Oblivion was summoning. So if there's some magic summoning, that would be amazing. Whether that's tied to a boss or like a boss soul, I'd be really cool with that. And then the last one is where we get our kind of look, our main look at the stealth mechanics. And it's a picture of the main character in the bushes stealth like hidden stealth or crouched down in the bushes overlooking a caravan so kind of further shows how we're going to be potentially approaching some of these caravans um yeah just one of those approaches so very cool um i'm super excited i know you're not talking a ton just because it's fucking hot in here and i have four pages of notes but I loved everything about this. The The most fun is diving into the lore, what the community has to say about what we've discovered. I just listed out a shit ton of things, um, but I'd be curious to hear what, on top of this, what everyone has to think about the trailer. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the, the more interesting things about Dark Souls. We've talked about it a number of times on the podcast is just... There is so much more hidden lore and story kind of baked into the game experience that you could otherwise completely pass over and not really, you know, pay attention to at all uh, because the dialogue is seldomly there. But when it happens, it's important. And the story is more often than not kind of told through the world itself rather than characters narrating the experience. Yeah. Um, which is something that I think is is very unique to the you know Dark Souls, Bloodborne, uh, Sekiro, and now Elden Ring series of games. So I too am super excited to play it. I, I know I, I haven't been talking a whole lot because I did want Ryan to just have his opportunity to gush. I know he put a lot of time into preparing for this episode and, and just kind of really digging deep, uh, trying to find every little intricacy he could and in, in the trailer and kind of taking that apart. So I thought that was awesome. I hope everyone else uh, enjoyed that as well. I do want to ask you one question and then I do want to wrap this episode up because we are going on very long here. Um, 
we got a release date of January of next year. Yes. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely, without a doubt in my mind, it hits that date, and 1 being there is no way it's coming out that soon. Where are you at with this game actually releasing at that, that time? Oh, definitely 10. Um, I, I think their track record, record is pretty good. They generally wait. I was kind of surprised it wasn't sooner. Because after two years of development, they're usually they're in the finalization kind of polishing stages from what like the insiders have said mm-hmm. about it, why we're not hearing stuff. Um, but they generally don't release any information. It's kind of Miyazaki's approach until they're finalized with this looks good. We're willing to present this to the public. It's probably a fine, like playable final game at this point. Um, but six months or five months of just further polishing and then a release. I think it'll definitely be meet that release date. Um, yeah, I, most of the Dark Souls games, besides like the out of bounds stuff that people find after hours of running up against walls, they're generally extremely polished, um, not compared to some of the other souls likes that we see so okay yeah. fair enough well if it's to be believed that it is coming out in january i'm super excited that'll be a hell of a way to kick <laughs> off next year as it relates to gaming so very much excited there's a lot to look forward to here in the coming months and certainly beyond with video games and we are just literally getting started with the hype surrounding e3 we've got the ubisoft forward later today i think there's a couple other maybe mini conferences as well Microsoft and Bethesda tomorrow. We've got the Nintendo Direct, I think, Monday. Nintendo or uh, Namco, Ban- Namco Bandai. Forgive me and my ability to pronounce anything at this point in the recording. But we have a ton to get excited about. And Ryan and I will probably be breaking more of it down next week. So stay tuned for that. If you want to support the show, you can also do that by going to Apple Podcasts, giving us a little review, rating us five stars. We greatly appreciate it. If you're not in our Discord, click the link in the show notes, join the fun discussion, join the Otaku Brothers community. We're growing, we're having a fun time, we're getting hyped about E3, and we talk about so many other awesome things in there with some of the best people. So click that link in the show notes. Again, we'll be back next week. Ryan will have more Persona 5 impressions, I'll have more Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart impressions, and we will, without a doubt, talk about all of the nonsense, craziness, good stuff that was shown at E3. The cicadas are taking over this podcast. Once again, I'll do my best to get it out, but it's inevitable. I mean, these things are literally right out my window. There's not much I can do. Ryan, I'm going to ask you to pocket your fun fact this week, and we'll get back to it next week. How's that sound? Dude, but it's as intense as uh, fucking Elden Ring. Is it that intense? Yes, it is. So Barbie, <laughs> her real name is Barbara uh, Millicent Roberts which I didn't know she had a middle name or a last name. And I didn't know she had parents because I assume like every Disney princess, they're all dead. So she actually has parents that are George and Margaret uh, Roberts, and they were from Wisconsin. Wow. Yeah. So surprisingly detailed. That's the original Barbie before there's a Barbie for everyone. Uh, But yeah, just the cookie cutter blonde Barbie is... Apparently has names and parents and a state. <laughs> the Jeez. more you know, Ryan, yeah. coming with the fun facts at the end of every Otaku Bros episode. Stay cool, stay safe, stay well and happy out there, my friends. Get outside and enjoy some of the shun- sunshine and then get back inside and play some of the awesome video games because we know 
There's no shortage of good ones out there. All right. We will see you next week. See ya. We'll be right back.